0: Welcome once again to Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. My name's Jim Byrne and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. This is episode 75. In this episode Pat chats to Chilean-Canadian stroke Mariela Villalobos, a freelance illustrator and a graduate from Glasgow School of Art where she graduated with a Master of Design. Mariella talks to Pat about the inspiration behind her work including Pinochet's coup in Chile and her love of seabirds. She highlights the difficulties students faced at GSA when the second fire occurred and she also talks about the barriers that the UK's immigration policy has created for graduates wishing to remain and work in Scotland. Anyway, that's enough of me. Let's have a listen to Pat chatting to Mariela Villalobos. So today, Mariela Villalobos Lobos
1: Am I pronouncing that correct? Uh, pretty close. That's <laughs> I'm. I'm impressed. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> good. Is a very exotic name. Well, I hear
2: yeah. <laughs> it, it, in um, a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, it's actually quite common, so it makes mm-hmm. tracing things like ancestry very difficult. Because it's like, oh, every third guy's last mm-hmm. name is Villa
1: Lobos. Wow. So. Well, it's certainly, certainly exotic in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So, in <clears throat> Thanks for coming, Mariela. <coughs> Mariela is an artist. She's Chilean-Canadian, mm-hmm. and I met Mariela at German. Jim and I went along to Glasgow School of Art to the graduate show, and we were very, very impressed by loads of stuff. But we loved Mariela's work. Mm. It was thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, it was so um, no, genuinely, it was so striking and um, quite diverse yeah that's always been the struggle as well as trying
2: to pick something you know sometimes I, I almost find that that was even when I did my undergrad there was that pressure to kind of pick a, a style or pick an identity and I always found that really difficult because I wanted to do everything.
1: So, yeah. Well, I, I, I know that I, a couple of the things, mm-hmm. the, the, the sort of themes that you had, um, okay. I found particularly interesting. The work reflecting, the are inspired by the coup mm-hmm. in Chile. That was, that's so dramatic and you know just absolutely fabulous you know you could could look at those images for those paintings for ages and ages they're just so vibrant and um really caught that the sort of danger and the sort Mm -hmm. of sort of fear so yeah well thank you (laughs) you No, so they 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 were um absolutely fantastic and that was a kind of personal very personal to you yes wasn't it? Um, it was actually the project that
2: prompted me to do the masters in the first place um, I think I gave you some of the back story mm-hmm. before but just for anybody that's not familiar um, my family went through those experiences especially my dad who I was very very close with mm-hmm. um, we we grew up kind of hearing about it in a general sense, but it wasn't until the um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Chile came in in 2008, 2009, thereabouts, and um, in order to apply for this um, grant, basically, that they had for victims of the coup, where they would... If, if they found that, that you really had suffered or if you were a legitimate victim, then um, you were given a pension and some other sort of benefits in Chile. And my dad had always, always wanted to go back. So it forced him to really sit down and write down everything that had happened. And it was probably one of the hardest things I ever saw him do. Like, I'd never seen him cry up until mm-hmm. he had to spend those days writing down exactly what had happened. And, and that really... I think affected me more than almost anything else is like, I'd always known that this was a part of my identity and and kind of taken that, but to see him struggle with those memories Mm -hmm. on that level, Mm -hmm. it it always really felt important to me then that that story get told because when I finally read it, it was, you know, it really, really, really affected me on a deep Mm -hmm. emotional level. And then I had, After I'd finished my undergrad, I always sort of intended to do something with it, but other projects would get in the way, especially working as a professional illustrator. You tend to focus on whatever deadline is coming up next, and you let the personal projects slide until finally, in 2016, he actually passed away. And when that happened, you know, well, I I spent a lot of time beating myself up about it, but but really, um, that kind of gave me the the kick of motivation that I needed where it's like no okay now is the time to get this done and I really need to make sure that I have the space to do that so that's why I decided to apply for a master's program and um, there wasn't really anything that was an illustration focused master's in Mm -hmm. Canada so that's what prompted me to look at programs elsewhere Mm -hmm. and I found that Glasgow School of Art had a reputation for work that had sort of more societal themes or Mm -hmm. deeper emotional or political messages and so Mm -hmm. I thought that might be a good fit for that project Mm -hmm. and it was two years of working on it and trying to figure out what it was going to look like and I'd already done about oh let's see so that was 2009 so about almost um let's say eight or nine years worth of research by the time that I came to it. But um, like even in 2011, my dad and I went to Chile together Mm. and I did some um, research there. I visited the Truth and Reconciliation Museum that Mm. they have set up. It's a memory to human rights. And that was a really tough experience for him as well, I think. By, um, By the second floor, he was kind of done. And then the third floor luckily focused more on the arts and kind of the cultural... Um, movement before in the protests that came about and and that was a bit of a sigh of relief so I, I really felt it was important that I also touch on that mm-hmm. what well, not just that sort of visual history but letting people know that this was something that did happen yeah and mm-hmm. that what I realized was like a lot of people were completely just unaware of that whole really? cultural movement mm-hmm. before mm-hmm the coup that, that Pinochet really made an effort to stamp out. And so I felt that it was important not just to visually represent my family's story, especially my dad's story, but that I reference this very specific place and time in history and mm-hmm. in visual arts and and make use of that language when I was mm-hmm. making the work. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's the culmination of which you saw the, yeah. the big screen prints. No. So.
1: Well, you certainly had a reason behind mm-hmm. doing it. So you must feel well happy that you've you've achieved that. Yeah, I. It,
2: it's one of the few projects actually where I feel like. You know, as an artist, you're never really happy with what you've done. There's always like you're sitting there nitpicking at it and. You're, always going oh well I could fix this or I could change that but it's one of the few projects where even a few months later I'm still quite happy with the work good that, that was completed yeah. And I still feel quite proud of what I managed to accomplish, especially when you consider things like the fire and how that derailed our um, oh,
1: that our program that halfway so, through. Oh, and it was so sad. Yeah, I mean... Unbelievable that
2: that should happen twice. Completely. It's the twice that, that really gets you, right? Yeah. But,
1: um, I mean, that, the Glasgow School of Art, you know, people really hold it. You know, with not an awful lot of affection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really uh, probably the best work of Macintosh's. Mm-hmm. It was just sensational. and the, was, the building and the, the library, building, yeah. The library. Though I
2: did hear that the actual wood panelling work that they had done for the library was in storage and hadn't been installed yet when the second fire happened. Mm-hmm. So... So that's the one kind of bit of
3: oh, right. happiness lovely. that we can take out of it is that apparently
2: all the work that mm-hmm. they did the second yeah. time around, not mm-hmm. all of it's been lost. Mm-hmm. So, so that's good at least. But, yeah, but they, certainly, what
1: must have been awful. I mean, it was awful, but it must have been terrible for the students. They just yeah, and honestly,
2: I mean, it, it's tough to to say anything, but it, it is. There is maybe a little bit of resentment because. I feel like as much as maybe the school and the administration didn't know what they were going to do or weren't, you know, hadn't figured stuff out or were in the process of doing that, there wasn't a lot of communication that came out to us about what was happening. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like I compare this summer and how free and easy I feel compared to last summer and what a massive anxiety-filled three months that was of not knowing whether I was going to be able to come back or not knowing whether I should transfer or try to change to a different program in a different school. <laughs> and I couldn't really get a straight answer from anybody. And they didn't even really tell us, oh, yeah, this is what it's going to look like in September until maybe a few weeks before we were supposed to start back up. Like, it, it, it mm-hmm. especially for an international Because the school is sponsoring your visa, it means that if you did have to transfer partway through, you actually have to go back to the country of origin, reapply for your visa, and then come back. And that is a massive expense and a massive, like, prospect to have to go through Mm -hmm. all of that all over again. Maybe not even possible for some people. Exactly. And so, so that really, um, I think one of the toughest things is after I'd completed the the work and we got through the degree show and graduation was rolling around and the I don't know if it was the actual head of school or what when she was giving her speech at our graduation I actually felt a little bit angry (laughs) because I didn't feel like there was a lot of sense of of really even empathy to what students had actually gone through there was a lot of self-congratulation going on of like oh well we handled it so well and we're so great and and we managed to to rise from this but really there was nothing said about the fact that for the first two months almost we didn't really have anywhere solid to work They'd provided space, but we weren't allowed to leave our stuff there. So it meant that you were Mm -hmm. dragging your work and materials in and out of a space with no assigned places. There was not a lot of clear communication there either about, um, for example, SWG3. They said, oh, yeah, you'll have access to this space for those of you who are photographers. And then I had friends that went there. And we we're told, oh, actually, no, you don't get access to the space except for the day that you guys came in the first time and the second day of tutorials, and that was it. And so,
1: they—they're just so assuming a lot of clear, yeah, like uh, um, that should have really been one of the main things to address, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure the students were okay and
2: well. Anything like the
1: architects were set up in mm-hmm. in essentially a marquee tent for the
2: first two months. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I I understand that you have limitations, you have to find spaces, and that can be tough in, in a place where maybe you're dealing with finite resources. But but really, the, the big thing that, that hit me was that at, considering how much internationals are asked to pay to attend that school, mm-hmm. for me, it was completely unacceptable that for two months there was a group of people possibly paying 19,000 pounds a year or more being asked to... You know, dress up warmly for class because there was some heating, but it's an outdoor facility that they'd set up for, for them
1: essentially. Sake. So, yeah. so that that definitely yeah. no, was a little. No. But. And you didn't hear much about that. I mean, there was quite a lot because there were protests from local businesses and so on, mm-hmm. and, and people that couldn't mm-hmm. get access to their homes. And, and I, I felt
2: really for those people the yeah. most because mm-hmm. I felt like, in a way, there was so much made about how nobody was hurt and, you know, there was no injuries or anything and it was a massive fire, fair enough, but, you know, if you're a family of four people and okay. you suddenly have to find accommodation mm-hmm. for your family for months, you know, from June until halfway through October when they finally regained access mm-hmm. and yeah. and to like really be like okay we'll figure it out like I don't know that my family when I was growing up would have been able to No, a lot of people to, would, you know
1: people a lot of people will never get over that mm-hmm. you know has have, have been set back so much a lot of people probably lost their jobs and all
2: sorts jobs, of jobs I mean small businesses there like yeah. I know that anything that's a chain maybe would have survived but if that was your business I can't mm-hmm. imagine that you would have had savings in place to deal with being closed for like four months mm-hmm. you might have had enough to maybe mm-hmm. weather two months of difficulty it maybe but,
1: um, be down a lot to insurance but right if if you had the right insurance or mm-hmm. you had insurance but everybody wouldn't mm-hmm. have had it and, and even
2: then that's the owners of the businesses but let's say that you worked in one of those yeah. businesses right like you can't Really make do with suddenly not having a job for the months, happen. you know. Like it's
1: no. no, it was it was disastrous in a way. It was unforgivable because mm-hmm. it it had happened before. The should have been. That, that's really the first fire was one hundred
2: percent a tragedy. It's yeah. it's something that couldn't really have been <laughs> foreseen as much as maybe the building was old and people had raised questions of its worth, you know, of its integrity before, but. But really, like you, until something like that happens, you just can't conceive that it could mm-hmm. happen. It's like Notre Dame mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. you know. It stood for, mm-hmm. thou, you know, like a thousand years. So obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to be a little bit like <coughs> flabbergasted by the possibility that could even happen. But when it's already happened, That's you would it. think that that would be your number one concern: is it not the going down the top, same way again? So, I mean, so not, yeah, you know,
1: the, you know. You would think that that was, you know, even instinctively and, you know, common sense in mm-hmm. every way, it would have been okay, but yeah, it was a I sad, think, sad Yeah, Yeah, I, I think the thing that
2: most of us really feel a little bit upset about is just that we were given a lot of maybe words at some point saying, oh, well, we'll take this into consideration and we'll you know, that this is something that's impacted you, but it didn't really feel like that was... Do you mean when you were... Whether from an evaluation perspective or um, especially in the case of the guys that actually graduated from the master's program last summer, Mm -hmm. they had six weeks in the end to execute their final degree show work. And they made amazing work, but the school, once again, almost self-congratulated themselves for that, which is like, no, those students... Mm -hmm had to fight for the school to even give them some some recompense for the materials that they were going to have to like remake a whole bunch of work that they didn't have access yeah. to. Or, mm-hmm. you know, um, there there didn't seem to be a lot of consideration for the fact that they missed so much actual time and all mm-hmm. the facilities mm-hmm. were closed, mm-hmm. but they weren't reimbursed for any of the tuition for the time that they didn't receive instruction, access to facilities. um any studio space, like any of the things that usually you expect, your tuition is what you're paying for. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I think yeah, I especially feel for those guys because yeah, I knew a on, lot of them. And put
1: a cloud over your
2: experience a bit, just because I, you know, tying back to the work that I do, that's always left, you know, my dad's experiences and political activism and everything has always been a really deep part of my identity mm-hmm. is that when you're the child of a refugee or of a political firebrand that means that you have that in you mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just part of you and so anytime that you see what you feel to be almost injustice or sure. or, or something that uh-huh. that doesn't it's feel fair mm-hmm. it, it really bothers you on a level and you mm-hmm. and you're not willing to just kind of like let it go mm-hmm. and be someone else's problem to deal mm-hmm. with like you feel like you at least need to say something if not do something so so it, it makes it very tough to kind of just wave your arm and go, okay, well I'll be gone and I'm done, I guess. So it's not my business. Like it, it. That's part of the reason why I can't so not say going, something. Always you know? going
1: to be, be something that, that irks you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I I can absolutely understand that. I think there's there's an awful lot of resentment. From mm-hmm. People. That they haven't even gone through anything like that or mm-hmm. been so personally affected,
2: and and that's why like I can't really or wouldn't really pursue something along the lines of oh well I should be in burst tuition or something even though yes the first two months of my second year were negatively impacted and l- last summer it was just anxiety filled and and not a good experience but I I wouldn't hold that for me but the guys that actively had that it just it felt for me hearing that the school wasn't willing to even give them a gesture of like I think Mm -hmm. all they'd asked for was about 300 pounds for the missing six weeks Mm -hmm. and when you consider that as an international my um, incoming tuition in 2017 was almost 16,000 pounds a year Mm -hmm. 300 pounds is a fraction of that. It's, yeah. it's not even uh, remotely, like proportionally, what six weeks' worth of missing mm-hmm. instruction and access time is. But it's a gesture, it's something, and the school mm-hmm. said no. Like, that That really mm-hmm. was what made me feel a little bit... Was,
1: I don't uh, think it was a wise decision. No, and, and now, you know, mm-hmm.
2: there's that... Um, I don't know if it was in Glasgow Live or in The Independent, but they were talking about how there's an actual group of grads, especially internationals who are trying to get the school to reimburse them for the mm-hmm. tuition mm-hmm. for this last year and much as like it seems to be this specific group that has gone out like I fully understand where they're coming from because mm-hmm. I can completely empathize with mm-hmm. feeling like you didn't get the experience that some you people promised.
1: lost their work didn't they
2: um I don't know if work was completely lost but in the sense that Let's say um, one of the students that was in my year, but in the summer program, in, in the, the one year. So they finish in September is usually when their grad show is. Um, her work centered on a lot of things dealing with her family. And she had a whole album of family photos yeah, that were then trapped. Right, yeah. Well, they were trapped in the studio in the Reed building for months. Mm-hmm. And she had to go back to Italy and figure out how to get these family photos and everything back because Mm. she wasn't gonna be living in Glasgow anymore and after that you don't really Mm. regain access to the building or anything Mm. so it was it's something like that, you know, and Mm. she had to come up with an entirely new project as well because that's once again, you can't just like replicate those out of thin Mm -hmm. air. It's Mm -hmm. like these Mm -hmm. old family Mm -hmm. photos like that means that she had to come up with an entirely different project and execute
1: it in yeah. six weeks. Yeah. There would be so many in people with all different sorts of problems just like that. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, depending on know, the work that you you're were doing, doing yeah. you know? Yeah. Totally.
2: Yeah. And, and, or in the case of um, even my work. So, thank goodness that I did the two year because if that had been me, executing one of my screen prints, like you saw, we we did them, they were at um, A2 kind of size, but the way that we found that was most effective to do it was to print two on one A1 screen, Mm -hmm. but they were four color separations. So you had to underprint yellow underneath the red to get that pigment that you were talking Mm -hmm. about. So that meant essentially four different layers of color and getting those screens to and from the press in the Haldane building you would have needed to have access to the coding facilities either at the J.D. Kelly which would have been difficult Mm -hmm. to get to Um, the Haldane was still open but to get three let's say A1 screens back and forth between the J.D. Kelly if those coding facilities were still available and the Haldane building where the printing was actually being done for eight different prints (laughs) it's like you know not to mention the actual work that went into designing the images themselves, and then any time that a print didn't go well, it each of those took me probably, like, when I already had the design finished, printed out on transparency so that we could um, expose them onto the screens, the whole process of just executing them and getting them printed took about two and a half weeks for each set of images. So... You know, in six weeks, I wouldn't have been able to do it.
1: No. It, it would have been actually impossible for me yeah. to
2: execute my project. And as it was, even with the time that I had, there was one more image that ended up in the book, the the publication that I had that gave context about everything that happened. Um, there was actually one illustration in there that I couldn't get printed because I just didn't have the time to... Mm-hmm like remaining basically access to the studio because you're also trying to get in there on the press there's only one press large enough to handle those screens there's other people that want to use it as well so you have to try and get in at some point and then you have four different color layers you have to let those dry in between passes so all told it it just meant that like i had to make do with eight mm-hmm. when there was really a nine
3: yeah, image mm-hmm.
2: and as is like that. That's that's what I said. Like I'm proud of the project, the work itself. But there's definitely things where if I had more time, I'd probably go back and reprint some things. And, and I, then you wouldn't you know... have had all that stress. Exactly. Like yeah. um, or just maybe there's some prints that came out, and I, I, if I had the chance to go back and reprint them, they'd be just a little bit cleaner, just a little mm. bit sharper. And so it felt a little bit like. I'm, I'm amazed that the guys that came out of that summer course had the level of finish that they did, but I don't think that in any way, shape, or form that reflected what the school did no, for no, them, you
1: know? No. But, what do you think yeah. of the Reed building? Ooh, that's another. <laughs> oh, um,
2: are we talking about architecturally? No. Are we talking about
1: functionally? No. Because, well, yeah, um, it's... A, I mean, I can um, only... I, I think it looks awful. Personally, I think it is a dreadful-looking building. But yeah, I, I, I can see the it, appeal of the glass mm-hmm. and everything. But, but really, the problem it, for me is mm-hmm. that it doesn't.
2: It's not fit for purpose. Yeah. They they designed a building, and you kind of get the feeling that there was a sort of star architect personality that got to make all these decisions, but didn't really think about things like how sound is isolated in there. So you can hear people in other studios from entire floors away. Um, So, for example, like, there's those big empty cylinders in the Mm -hmm. building that are... I don't know what they're supposed to do, but they definitely carry sound from the basement all the way up to the fourth floor studios where we were. Or, um, like, we... We're in such an open plan space that we had people moving through our studio all the time to get to other areas of the fourth floor and they mm-hmm. had these kind of curtains up, but it meant that still there would be guys maybe in PD or one of the other areas where if you had a particularly loud year like we did mm-hmm. in our first year, we weren't that loud, but the PD guys were and we could hear every conversation mm-hmm. that they had from a sort of half floor down and away from where mm-hmm. they were.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or, so, we would be trying to have mm-hmm. critiques, mm-hmm. and we almost couldn't even hear each other right. because of mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. So, That's
1: irritating. that happened um, also. In, I used to work at Glasgow Caledonian University, right. and um, we, we didn't have offices. We had a time where we could be, you know, so if you had, you had a student, you had the time allocated, but they were downstairs and they were beside the canteen, and the noise. Mm-hmm. Was unbelievable, right. so you couldn't concentrate. You know, those it, 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 it didn't suit at all for those no um, places where people were mm-hmm. like that having mm-hmm. a critique and are really trying to concentrate next to a whole lot of noise going on. You mm-hmm. know, but I, I so I, so things like that. They, things like the
2: copious amounts of stairs in the building that are almost unnecessary mm-hmm. because really. I mean, maybe there's architectural reasons for this, but for me, there's so much wasted space in that building. There's a lot
1: of wasted space. And um, I th- the, to me, I, 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 when I was sort of thinking about it, I was thinking about it does seem very light, and maybe that's what's been going <laughs> on more than anything else.
2: But, but there, only half of it, because when you look at the actual studios, it's like if we got rid of some of these extra random bits of stairs in the rest of it, you could either fit more so studios ramps. in there. You could, yeah. Um, and, and ramps aren't really a problem. It's just that they put stairs where there's none necessary. So for example, on the fourth floor, you have two levels of fourth floor and an extra like seven f- steps between one side of the fourth floor and the other one. And it's pointless. Not to mention if you were like mobility limited, mm-hmm. that would mean that you would actually need... It limits the way you can move around the building in a really sort of ableist way, like you know, forcing somebody to have to take a circuitous route to get somewhere and say, well, you can still get there, is still being kind of a jerk when <laughs> you're designing it oh, as it's an architect. No,
1: it's, and uh, not to it's, mention the
2: lifts took for freaking, you know, it was like five five minutes to get from, like... The, the, those, you know, those
1: lifts are awful. I mean, there's a big... They've been probably better with maybe a couple of smaller lifts going that, faster. That, yeah, oh,
2: no. It was... Um, and I remember it was actually our... The weekend that we were supposed to be handing in all our stuff on the Monday or Tuesday following and the lift broke down Mm -hmm. and you know for most people they think oh we'll take the stairs Mm -hmm. let's Let's flash back (laughs) to my four giant A1 (laughs) screens of each color separation if I need to take the stairs carrying those I'm actually running the risk of denting the screens and making them unusable for anyone else or if I'm carrying fragile work like my you know we were talking about the other projects and the fact that there was a lot of variety in what I made. Mm-hmm. I had that project of the painted eggshells. Mm-hmm. You know, I drop those and there goes months of work as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, there's reasons why the, you need to take a your own,
1: your own physical ability as well. As to, well, you uh, know, and, and you I'm just happened. saying
2: from, from people that might not be thinking from mm-hmm. a kind of inclusive
3: mm-hmm.
2: mental kind of place... Sometimes it, it's just, even for an able-bodied person, mm-hmm. the lift is the, is really
3: mm-hmm.
2: kind of very necessary. Yeah. So the fact that they were just kind of like, oh, it's just broken mm-hmm. for an entire weekend right mm-hmm. before all your hand-ins
3: was like... Well, I
1: had never Whoa. been in the lift before until this year because my, my hips bothered me. Mm-hmm. And I guess we always just walked up the... Main the stairs. long ambly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But... Um, we thought it was broken. Because of how nothing, slow it was. Well, nothing was <laughs> happening. You know, you sort yeah. of got in and you thought, oh, gosh, it's not...
2: Yeah, no, and and taking that, you know, every time that you needed to cart stuff up and down, like, especially we were on the fourth floor, that's where our studios were located, so in order to be able to get big or awkward things from the fourth floor to the first floor, mm-hmm. it... there There were other sort of weird decisions as well, so... For example, the double doors leading into the lift space. Once again, let's say you're a wheelchair user. Those double doors are incredibly awkward. There's nothing that, there's no auto button where you can press for those doors to open on their own. So it means that for you to get to the lift that enables you to even navigate this building, you have to try and get through these awkward doors that like, anytime that we had a cart, for example, to try and wheel things down to the basement um that the basement is where the exposing suite was for um the screens it it meant that anything with wheels you effectively still have to navigate these weird sort of like it, one door is like three quarters and the other one is like the remaining quarter
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and so you know you have to have a second person to navigate
1: mm-hmm. those they're probably going to have to eventually um, fix that
3: well,
2: it, it, the you know anywhere else would have just put in uh, a button for
3: yeah.
2: you know wheelchair users, mm-hmm. for example, but there isn't. And also, you've got the the sort of key card tab to open those little front door, um, you know, access doors before that space. Then you have to tab in. Literally, it's like there's one key card here, and then five feet from it, there's another key card reader on the wall that then allows these other doors to physically open, but there's nothing that lets you open them automatically. Mm-hmm. So that someone that has difficulty moving mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a cart or something can actually be wheeled through mm-hmm. them. So it's just I like, could, I don't
1: know if I could figure that out. <laughs> I probably would never get in.
2: <laughs> right. And that's how it felt was kind of, um... and ironically, here's where the fire was weirdly convenient in some ways was that when the front of the reed building was inaccessible, They bowed finally to necessity and allowed us to use those back doors, which actually make way more sense (laughs) for moving around the building. Because you come in the back doors, you don't have to deal with that silly gate I was talking about. You'd still badge in, and then the lift is right there. Mm -hmm. So when I was bringing screens from the Haldane building, for example... There was a ramp access right through the, the back uh, alley, and then you would wheel the screens right there and take them straight down to where you mm. needed to take them. As soon as they opened the front doors of the reed, they shut that access completely. It said, nope, no one can come in, um, You know, making it that much more difficult to get in the building. And now to get those screens in, you have to wheel them all the way through the alley to the other end of the building and all the way around to the front and then go through the front and then all the way through the same building you just looped inside to get to those little silly doors I was talking about to get to the left to go downstairs so I guess, I don't know, there's a sort of problem solving Something part of the, my uh, brain that's very no, frustrated no, by no, inefficiencies no, no, like so this no, you know.
1: a lot of um, wasted time
2: but, completely, um, you know sorry, end yeah. rant. <laughs> the point being is like the re-building is a <laughs> bit of a contentious uh, Yeah, I've never spoken subject. to
1: anyone before any of the students or anyone um, you know about the building. I've often thought. I wonder what the students think. So who knows? Maybe <laughs> other students like it. I just. I definitely. Um, I think maybe maybe
2: it's even a North American thing where I, and and not universal, but inefficiencies bother me because I can. I'm always looking at a system to see. Okay, well, how could I do it better? Or how could we make this work
3: mm-hmm.
2: better for everyone? Or how could mm-hmm. we make this more enjoyable and, mm-hmm. and so that problem part like problem solving bit of my brain really gets frustrated when I see things that are just run a certain way because of an arbitrary set of rules and not because it's actually mm-hmm. has to be that way.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But there's this sense of resent or like resistance to changing it just because well this is how we do it. Like I, I've I I find that very difficult to reconcile, you know. <laughs> Certainly
1: um, hell of a irritating Oh, definitely. One of the things I had um, mentioned to you when we met at the art school mm-hmm. that um, was the film, the Ne Yes. I mean, I, I, when that was last year in the GFT, mm-hmm. that was the opening. They've shown it a film. few times, yeah. They've shown that it's been on, it's been on different places too, mm-hmm. um, some free events, but I couldn't. Um, I couldn't understand it at first. I thought it was strange having a documentary, you know, such a but that film. I just I I, I just absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. But I cried the whole way through. It was so moving, and um, it was something so remarkable that those men at the Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. you know, were so um well, principled is the word for it. Yeah. So, so much solidarity mm-hmm. behind what that they were not going to um help this you know attack on the on the people in, in Chile. Mm-hmm. It was it was remarkable and also they didn't know that in the the, the political prisoners knew that this was happening in this factory in this Gowride, mm-hmm. that they had down tools to, you know, prevent the, the aircrafts from taking off. It, it was totally, it was just absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, it, it would be great if they could meet you and you could meet those that men. That would be lovely, honestly. Mm-hmm. It would be I'm sure really, they would love really to great. meet you and they would love to see your art. Yeah, I
2: mean, mm. I mean, I'll show it to anyone, but <laughs> but definitely, it would be really, really great if if yeah. I could get in touch with them somehow. It would be just... good
1: to have an event where the film was showing and where you had uh you know, a, an exhibition.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> sign me up for sure. I'd, I'd be more than happy. No, that,
1: that would just fit so mm-hmm. fit so well and. And and you could maybe say something, you know, about your dad and about your own... Yeah, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. always happy to talk about mm-hmm. know, the fact that I'm here, right? But um, no, it, mm-hmm. it would
2: be really, really great. Like, I um, definitely... I wasn't able to catch the film at the at the uh, gala, but mm-hmm. I did manage to see it when it showed um, a few more times at the GFT. I managed yeah. to catch it on one of those repeat mm-hmm. showings. And did you enjoy it? And, yeah, no, I, I really, really liked it. I especially... I think sometimes what's tough is... In the course of the research that I was doing, I have seen quite a few mm-hmm. films that deal with the subject of the coup. One's made by Chilean filmmakers, one's made by other filmmakers. But the what was nice was seeing, first off, the focus on, on a different kind of aspect of what was going on. And, and the solidarity, like mm-hmm. you said, was just really lovely to see because... Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it, it can almost especially with a subject this heavy it, you can almost mm-hmm. feel crushed under the weight of it and mm-hmm. so it was kind of a pleasure actually to do some research that that wasn't you know just sad or, well, there was or a really sort of difficult to exactly things sight mm-hmm. to that for sure no for sure yeah. so so it was really a pleasure to watch that film
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i was actually quite frustrated for a while because the, screen, the, um, the gala was sold out, so that's why I couldn't make mm-hmm. it to that one. And then the next few times that they showed it, they kept showing it times where I was either away somewhere or where I had to work. You know, something where I just wasn't able to catch the film, and it felt almost like this, mm-hmm. it, like, come on, guys, really? <laughs> like, I'm the one person mm-hmm. in the city that really, 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 really wants to see mm-hmm. this film, but, but yeah, it... Um, it was when I finally got to see it, it, it definitely rewarded all those expectations. Yeah, no, it was, it was
1: um, remarkable. I mean, I think it will be shown over and over. I hope Julia. so. And I really, really it's do. It's remarkable. Because um, I think
2: the difficulty sometimes is that when, when you have a subject like this, that people will make a piece of art or a film or something, and, and it will have its little bit of time and attention and then after that people lose interest and then mm-hmm. stop. And I mm-hmm. think it would be great if that didn't happen mm-hmm. with this film mm-hmm. and similarly with the work that I'm doing if
3: mm-hmm.
2: I have to kind of keep reminding myself mm-hmm. to keep on it as well, because yes I have yeah. completed it, but mm-hmm. it, that shouldn't just mean that I put it in a drawer somewhere and then no. that's it, you know, it mm-hmm. it really would be great to continue to show yeah. it. or yeah, um, absolutely. I actually am chatting with um, I have a cousin who's a journalist in Chile which Mm -hmm. is quite helpful for the purposes of finding avenues for the work and the project in Chile which is the original environment Yeah, Yeah. so we're talking at least about she she has somebody that she knows at the Ministry of Culture that ideally even if they don't publish or, or anything but if I could submit a copy of the project, especially the screen prints, to them just for archival purposes, to add to the kind of Chilean yeah. uh, as they call yeah. it the Patrimonio Chileno, which is like the the civic history of the country, that would be great. Uh, I you know, yeah. I I'm okay with that. Like that oh, that's enough for me. Cool. But but she's actually gone a little bit further. Um, when I finally got the the digital copy of the book as it is right now up on my website. She read through it and she really, really, really was excited enough by the content that she's trying to see if there'd be anybody interested in editing and publishing it in Chile. So that would be really, really great to to see it kind Happy of fabulous. take on...
1: So your website is Ho- House of Wolves, is that right? Uh, Town of Wolves, Town, yeah. Town it's, of um, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I <laughs> anglicized <laughs> the meaning of my last name yeah, kind of in uh-huh. a very
2: clumsy way just because asking someone to spell Villa Lobos is kind of mean
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. But Town of Wolves yeah. is, is quite dramatic, isn't it? The, yeah, I, I it.
2: think it's one of those where I always joked that if I married someone they'd have to have a cooler last name than me for me to take <laughs> their last name as opposed to mine. So, yeah, so yeah I uh, definitely... It, I figured that was more memorable as well mm. than just putting my last name in, in a search bar somewhere and people are mm. like, how many L's? How many mm. O's? I can't no, remember. No, no, it
1: was a good idea. It, was, mm-hmm. it sounds good. So the other um, work that you that I really liked were the birds. Mm-hmm. So what what is your your interest in the the painting the birds? Well, um,
2: like I said, the the whole project came about from, I think sometimes you just don't realize you have these weird drawing obsessions. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought of myself as someone that loved birds, but Mm I found that I actually do quite enjoy drawing and painting them. And then there was a lot of, like I said, being this sort of, politically involved, whatever person that I am. um, There was a lot of ecological articles coming out about seabird populations dropping by 70%. And a lot of these birds that you look at and you feel like, Oh, well, this is just a rat bird in the city. You know, you see a seagull eating a packet of crisps on Buchanan street, and you kind of tend to think of it as a pest and then reading these articles that were saying that these populations are actually incredibly threatened or that fulmers have so much plastic in their stomachs that they can't actually Mm -hmm. fit real food and they starve and die. Like, you know, these things are really just ecology in general is very important to me. And, and, you know, hearing the planets on fire and the plastic pollution is actually a big, massive deal, but, but seeing it from the perspective of, of these birds that I actually really enjoy drawing and painting it it really hit home in a way that maybe wouldn't have otherwise and I think some of that also came from being here because bizarrely we do have seagulls in Calgary even though it's like thousands of kilometers away from the ocean but here in the UK you really 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 get that sense of coastal seabird populations and there being a, a huge variety of that so Um, I'd just been drawing them idly before for a kind of more comedic project that I had in mind. And then I I kind of thought, you know what, I I really want to do something that addresses this and lets me really flex my muscles as a a naturalist illustrator because that's something I've always liked doing as well. And, Mm -hmm. And I think I also felt a bit of frustration with the program was trying to push me towards these more expressive forms of drawing or illustration that aren't necessarily what I do. Like, when I came in here, I always thought of myself more as, like, uh, a really so- strong drawer more
1: than but anything. it's very um, delicate work. When, and that's usually what
2: most of my illustration work has been like for a long time is I, I have a a love of soft sort of flowing lines and watercolor. And, and so it, it, the other project, those approaches weren't appropriate to at all. And, and that was fine, but I felt a bit frustrated that I wasn't being allowed to, to sort of exercise these muscles Mm -hmm. in other ways. So this felt like the perfect project for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was all of these sort of thematic things leading to it, and then I also managed to get into the V&A archives mm-hmm. um, to see Beatrix Potter's illustration work—the mm-hmm. uh, the actual originals—and mm-hmm. that was mind blowing. I I'd wanted to for years, remember, but that. that's in London, so mm-hmm. they actually have her original illustrations and a lot mm-hmm. of her, um, even just her studies. So. Mm-hmm. I think she is massively, massively underrated as probably one of the best naturalist illustrators in history. Mm -hmm. But everybody knows her as Peter Rabbit. And the thing is, she couldn't have made Mm -hmm. those books without being so incredibly skilled at observing these animals Mm -hmm. and drawing them and knowing Mm -hmm. them intrinsically and how their anatomy worked. But... It be all, probably also because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many bits of naturalist illustration I saw at the Natural History Museum that her work was infinitely better than. But you know, these are held as the examples right. of the best, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. illustration of the time. And so, um, seeing her studies and her sketches, it what really hit me was that I wanted to be able to make these pieces that really made people feel that sense of preciousness towards a creature mm-hmm. that maybe wouldn't necessarily usually feel that way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and that was what was kind of amazing about her work, too, is that she had drawings of, like, snails or bats, you know, animals that maybe aren't usually the cuddly you cute ones that you think of. like. like
3: you know, it's it's easy to Pender look at a mouse person, and go, oh, yeah. how
2: cute! But when you look at like a bat, traditionally most people have felt sort of the opposite about them. Or well, didn't feel so good about myself.
3: Like, well, but, birds, but if you looked at one and I it was just standing mean. there yeah. and
2: looking at you and not running around scurrying, you know, <laughs> like you'd you'd be kind of like, oh, okay, it's actually quite sweet. He has little ears, and but where whereas like a bat is an animal that's we've been almost taught to fear that uh way you just think of this flappy flying thing. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, and so seeing her present these animals in just as much obvious love and detail and, Mm -hmm. and lifelike kind Mm -hmm. of Mm
3: -hmm.
2: color and and beautiful, beautiful illustrations Mm -hmm. that she did. And they were just studies to her. I, I was really impacted by that. And so I thought there's a potential here For naturalist illustration, that doesn't just describe the animal or the creature that you're looking at, but also provokes a response in the viewer Mm -hmm. and a sense of kind of, that you would want to protect this. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the idea came from, to to draw these birds in in probably, like, what I tried to do was the most delicate, most sort of beautiful way that I Uh could, so that people could see that, that, you know? I've
1: got that one just sitting there. Mm -hmm. I, I... I think it's gorgeous. I mean, that is uh, well, that great. makes me happy because that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, was no, to. it is absolutely beautiful and dignified. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so you've sort of sort um, of captured that. You know, you wouldn't. I mean, I know what you mean about the seagull gulls and the the pigeons. to take me out. You know, if mm-hmm. the pigeons come there. I would be one to shoot them away. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I know, I know, um, they're, yeah, like, they're creatures and.
2: Well, and, and it's just sometimes about getting people to maybe think about or see these creatures in a way differently mm-hmm. from what they usually would. So that's where I started with the project. And originally, I'd been thinking maybe I would do them on transparencies or something kind of um, just just to make it obvious that this is something fragile mm-hmm. and and really worth protecting. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the bits of feedback that I got from one of my tutors, he was saying, well, you know, if you think about Mm -hmm. gauze or some of these fabrics, they're actually quite robust, despite the fact that they look so Mm -hmm. soft, Mm -hmm. what you should do is really pick a really fragile material you know, like eggshells. And and when he first said that, I was like, no, he's crazy. (laughs) And so when I first painted in the eggshells, I was doing it to spite him more than anything. I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'm doing it. Look how dumb, look look how stupid of an idea this is. And then when i done, you know, I struggle with it and I must have sworn at them for an entire evening as I'm painting, you know, tiny little brush strokes inside of an egg. And At the end, I was like, oh, well, okay, actually, that that worked quite well. Well, I almost owe him an apology, even though I never said any of these things to his face. It was like, oh, actually, that worked. Yeah, okay, shoot. Now I'm painting eggshells, I guess. So that's how that project kind of came about in its completion. But
1: what are you um, doing at the moment? Um, Some of it has been
2: just trying to figure out what the next steps for living situation is, just because... My visa ends at the end of October, so I've had to focus a little bit more on just practical concerns. Mm -hmm. So first was looking at any and all possibilities of changing that visa type to something else. And then when it became evident probably in the last couple of months that that wasn't going to happen, trying to figure out you know, what what comes next. So as would, you far want, as, would
1: you ideally want to stay in
2: Scotland? It would have been lovely because there's some sort of possibilities and network elements that I really could have capitalized on if mm-hmm. I knew that I could stay here. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's um, one of my tutors back at the art school for one of the, the electives that I took. We actually got along quite well. And he had me come in as a guest tutor um, for that elective in the second year because I did it in the first Mm -hmm. year, and I did quite well. Yeah, and it was great, and and Dave and I get along like a house on fire really and it would have been great you know he was asking well what's your plans in september because we're running the elective again and it would be great if we could get you to come in again and that would be wonderful to do but once again it's like the the whole visa situation would you have to
1: have a job earning a certain amount
2: yeah so the visa requirements are that you have to be essentially hired by a company is kind of the big part of it. It's very difficult to do it as a freelancer, for example. So you have to be hired by someone that's willing to sponsor you for a visa. They have to have a license, basically, or a specific thing that they apply to the government for to sponsor applicants then they have to promise to pay you above a certain amount depending on what your job is. So for arts-based things, it appears to be it has to be above £22,000 a year, which not not many junior positions outside of London will pay. And then following that, the company themselves have to be able to show that they made this job available to the general UK market for a month and then weren't able to fill that position with a local applicant and that's why they're hiring you. So there's a whole bunch of sort of different conditions, but Not what I figured is. out What I figured out was really it's more just that it's meant to make it easy for international companies to move somebody that they particularly need into a role in, in that particular country, but it's not meant for you just looking and finding a job. It, it's
1: really difficult it's to very, find that. Um, it's, it's really so stupid because Scotland so much needs to build this population and you've got all these people, um, you know, like yourself, you know, talented with qualifications mm-hmm. and opportunities and they're just getting turfed out, basically. You know, it's yeah, it, it's, it's frustrating
2: for sure. Because mm. cause I would love to stay. I mean, my boyfriends from here. Um, it it would be really really great to be able to kind of keep that momentum that I felt mm. upon ending the program as well. But but yeah, it's um I I never more so than now see. How Scotland isn't necessarily the rest of the UK, but the rules of the rest of the UK are applied to it as Absolutely. if it was. Yeah, yeah.
1: They don't. They don't suit at all. You know, they just don't. Um, they don't suit. I think as well. there's is a different psyche mm-hmm. in Scotland. You know, there's. Um,
2: well, like, I've never made, been made to feel, like, unwelcome here. You know, maybe the first six months I just felt stupid a lot of the time. But that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't because people were making me feel stupid. It's just I felt stupid because someone had asked me to do something and I had to turn it around in my brain about three or four different ways before I understood the, what they were getting at. But, you know, that that's not on general. Like, people were very friendly and very mm-hmm. welcoming. So mm-hmm. it it is sort of frustrating to feel that people are that way, mm-hmm. but the... The sort of infrastructure that you're dealing with is devoid of that entirely.
1: Yeah. It's terrible. It's really, it, it, it's, 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 Everything's going. It's, it's so so stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, the very people you you should be wanting to attract are mm-hmm. it's impossible for them to stay. I, I mean, I or are they there? There's,
2: there's some possibilities for example there's a visa that used to be called the graduate entrepreneur but it's called something different now and it's very much once again made for people that want to start a business but that doesn't necessarily fit every situation either and even then within that you have to be you have to have your business plan rubber stamped Mm -hmm. by one of these organizations that they uh, recognize Mm -hmm. And most of those organizations don't actually take external applicants. So you have to either have graduated from one of these schools and then they will endorse your business plan. Or you have to kind of know somebody that happens to be one of these people that can kind of get you in. And there's a weird sort of nepotism to that that's really frustrating, you know. know?
1: And then if you've got another job, you know that what not to do with what you're actually wanting to do mm-hmm. you're not going to have time to exactly to do what you're, you're able and you, and you to kind of have
2: to because mm-hmm. like if you don't have a massive startup capital pot which most people coming out of their uh, masters or you know PhDs I can't imagine that they actually have much money left like mm-hmm. I'm pretty broke to be honest yeah. so you know, you have to take some sort of side gig. There's just no other way to do it, really. Mm -hmm. And so there doesn't seem to be a lot Mm -hmm. of real consideration for what something like this requires. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a ton of really, I like, like I said, almost any idea that I would like to follow through on, it's not enough for it to just be creative work. I'd like it to also better the world in some way, whether that's speaking up for marginalized groups or whether that's speaking up for ecology and for things like the you know extinction rebellion or any of these mm-hmm. uh, these are causes that i really believe in it would be great to put my work towards that but admittedly you know there's no money in that so you mm-hmm. kind of have to be able to subsidize or live mm-hmm. somehow but there, is
1: there any chance that you could get a job in london
2: I'd looked into it and I did apply to a lot of stuff that was earlier in the summer. And um, it just, once again, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest for specifically what I do. Like there was a lot of positions that are open, but almost all of them are things like, oh, junior graphic designer or senior graphic designer at insert company here, um, or I especially illustration jobs, almost all of them seem to be tied to the game industry. And much as that's actually um, my undergrad, I majored in character design, but almost all of these jobs, they don't want you to just be a character designer anymore. They want you to be able to do everything. So they want you to already have experience making games in a commercial studio for minimum five years. And then they want you to be able to not just design the characters but also model them and also have 3d modeling experience and to be able to use five or six different 3d modeling software packages and to also you know be able to create assets for their other it's like basically they just want to hire one person where it was previously five jobs they Mm -hmm. they want like a swiss army knife basically Mm -hmm. and as much as I've gained some of those skills, like I wouldn't necessarily say that they're where I'm best at. So it's been a pretty tough prospect to get people interested. And to be honest, you know, like I said, the work that I want to do, I feel like there should be some sort of (coughs) deeper kernel of something interesting there, whether that's exploring new ideas or narratives or telling stories that haven't been told before. And so... It, it's a bit frustrating to find yourself kind of like trying to perform in order to get a job that maybe at the end of the day yeah. you don't really want all so that badly. So, do you badly. think
1: you'll have to go home?
2: Yeah, at this point it's looking like that's what's going to happen. So, what and I. Would you th- go back to Calgary? For now, at least. Um, I do still have my family there, my mom and my brother, and I think it wouldn't be a bad thing to be able to go and help my mom out at least for a bit. Um, mm. You know, she's ever since my dad passed away as well. Like she has friends and everything, but I think it would be nice to at least be there for the next few months. Mm -hmm. And then what I've actually been looking into was, um, I can't get, a youth mobility visa to the uk because i'm 31 and the cutoff is the age of 30 (laughs) but the rest of europe is sure happy to have me so i was looking at maybe applying for a one-year youth mobility visa to spain or to france
3: yeah and yeah. seeing and if i could do you um, speak
2: spanish? i do yeah well. so so definitely that's kind of the one that's the most appealing right now mm-hmm. cuz my french is not as good as my spanish so um if i can don't get forget
0: that, you can see chris them, and, uh, with his new show called prophecy it's on at the stand comedy comedy club in glasgow at least for now, That's and sunday the 7th i just feel of July, like i'm not traveling really and, the and
2: the kind of experiencing another it country
1: like it's an going to be an independent country
2: hey you know and and at least like i can always visit is the big mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. um I think some of the much as I love Canada as a mm-hmm. country there's a lot to love mm-hmm. and I didn't leave because I hated it mm-hmm. by any stretch um my dad did but that's a different story uh, <laughs> it, something that I will mention as a side thing is I think sometimes people don't recognize and this is important in general is that political refugees don't leave their countries because they want to. Exactly. They leave because they have to yeah. because it's a choice between that or death or that mm-hmm. or torture or that or like starvation. And so you're not leaving a country you hate.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're not looking for opportunities.
3: You're you're not an economic no. migrant. That's no. a very different
2: thing and I think people really need to understand that difference because in the case of my dad, I think a lot of people would then expect that the country that you come to, you're going to love them because you took them. And for some refugees, that's true. But in the case of my dad, he loved Chile so much that it was almost anathema to be anywhere else, especially when he knew that all of these terrible things were going on in the country that he loved and that he always dreamt about going back.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And when eventually we did go back, When, um, in 1988, they had the plebiscite that tried to return to democracy and we actually moved back to Chile in 88. I was four months old at the time. He was happy to be back, but he also realized it wasn't the same country that he had left about 15 years beforehand. And so uh, it it was a tough choice, I think for him because Mm -hmm. he realized like he was still able to make a life there and he had a job and career and everything, but he realized that for us because the country had changed so significantly and in some ways not enough, you know, suddenly you, they never really, you know, as much as they say, oh yeah, we, we've brought in all of these elements of capitalism and it's so much better. They never really got rid of things like the really, really rigid social class structure that's almost worse there than it is in the UK. And they never really got rid of elements of nepotism, and who do you know and what yeah. your family name is? And so he realized that for our futures, it was better to go back to Canada because mm-hmm. at least there, there was a lot more opportunity mm-hmm. for us growing mm-hmm. up. And mm-hmm. so he made the really difficult decision to go back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, that was never for him. It was always for us. Mm-hmm. And In Canada,
1: think, um, it's a different attitude of sort of, um, proud of their multicultural country. Yeah and
2: and I you know we have our own difficulties especially with let's call it like secret racism especially the way that, that people look and treat the First Nations groups yes, uh-huh. there's a lot of problems that we have to face as well but at least overall you don't have quite the same level of accepted kind of casual racism towards Mm -hmm. other groups or, I mean, there's groups trying to change that right now. And and that's part of the reason why I don't mind going back at least for the federal election, because yeah, there's a, there's a lot Mm -hmm. to be concerned about there. Um, Yeah. Anyways, sub separate subject, but the point being that really um, there's a lot about Canada that I love Mm -hmm. But how far it is from everything else <laughs> is definitely not one of those things, no. you know. It's like, well, if you want to go to Mexico, I guess that's relatively close. <laughs> or the U.S. Yeah. But but really, the rest of Europe is yeah. at least a nine-hour flight yeah. away. You know, I think, so. have you
1: been in Spain?
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've, mm-hmm. um, I've a friend that I met in my undergrad that she, when I finished my degree, she was finishing up hers and... She lived in Barcelona at the time. Mm-hmm. So she was from Valencia originally. Mm-hmm. And that was the first opportunity I had where I traveled alone. And the first time I came to Europe and I fell in love with Barcelona. Yeah, it was just gorgeous. a beautiful city. I mean, Art Nouveau mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Art Nouveau is like my my bread and butter mm-hmm. anyways. And so it was... I That's where I really got the travel bug as well. Mm-hmm. And I think without that trip, I wouldn't have then been brave enough to do what I did eventually of, of moving away from everyone to a city I didn't know anybody in and embarking on the whole um, experience that I did in the last mm-hmm. two years but but definitely yeah. like Spain has a mm-hmm. special soft spot just because I've yeah. probably been there more than any other country yeah. than Canada and, and then you've got yes. a language it's perfect. It does make it easier, yeah, though. Of course, absolutely. here I am, you yeah. know, maybe trying to be difficult in a subconscious way, where I'm like, "Oh, let's go to Barcelona, the one place where they're really not feeling too charitable towards Spanish-speaking and like the larger Spanish identity <laughs> right now." You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I don't know what it is. It's mm-hmm. they can't just go to a place that's happily, you know, like well, let's not go to Mallorca.
1: Yeah, <laughs> understand the Catalan language. It, yeah, I mean it's it's funny
2: because when I've heard it spoken I can catch about let's say almost 75% though admittedly that is the sort of um let's call it urbanized version that you hear in mm-hmm. Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So it I I couldn't I don't know that I could straight up speak mm-hmm. it but definitely if someone's speaking yeah. to me in Catalan mm-hmm. there's enough there that I can mm-hmm. pick out their meaning. I think
1: if you were there for even after a short time you would you would be picking it up no bother and I
2: think they can tell that I'm not actually from the rest of Spain so that's where Absolutely. some of the <laughs> um, you know some um, of they can hear me and they're like oh Chilean accent okay um, you know you're not you're, here as you're an imperialist
1: force you know are Mastered in um, understanding the Glasgow accent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know, mastered that. And even after two years, there's still occasionally some people where I kind of have to go, Could you, could you repeat that? But definitely yeah. it's easier than it was when I first got here. That was, um, yeah.
3: like well, I said, you just feel I stupid.
1: I'm, so, I'm sorry that you're, you're, looks like you'll be going, but hopefully. Yeah, yeah go, I mean, it's a shame. Well, you'll really be is. back. You'll be back for sure. At least to yeah. visit. I think. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes it's almost you have to remind yourself that just because you nest, like you're not allowed to live somewhere anymore, or really, I could continue to live here. I just couldn't legally work anywhere. But yeah. you know, um, just because
1: of that, that doesn't mean that you can't come back no. to visit. And, and, and give, to, who knows what's going to happen? This, yeah. the, As well, the UK looks. Pretty much as if it's disintegrating. Oh, geez, so, geez, so, geez. but we, we better not start on that, or we'll, or we'll be here I, mean, I just, I mean, just
2: as a as a statement, I just can't believe that anyone facing down the prospect of food shortages, medicine shortages, like a complete and total collapse of almost every system, at best a massive recession and all of these prospects and they're like, yeah, no, that sounds good. Like, I just, I can't. I just, I I can't. I mean, I understand that there's this whole disaster capitalism and there's some very rich people that are Mm -hmm. salivating at that, but I can't understand like the regular people that are just so convinced that this is going to be good in the long run. Like, um, I just... I can't either. Maybe it's just that having the background that I have knowing you know it's even tough because we went to the military tattoo for example on the Monday Um, my boyfriend had never been either and at the very
3: beginning they asked
2: oh you know who's here from New Zealand and from and even that prospect is really difficult because I have to cheer twice. It's like, (laughs) I have to cheer when Latin America comes up and I have to cheer when Canada comes up. And then you can see that there's like the little old English lady that's in the same row looking at me kind of like, but didn't you already cheer when the other country was mentioned? And you have to (laughs) kind of go, look, it's both. Like, you know, but because of that, it's like, I find it very difficult to understand how anyone could be quite so insular or think that the world is going back to that because with the internet, for example, like people don't really think about where the website that they're browsing, for example, is actually physically stored because it doesn't matter. So Mm -hmm. these weird geological or like, let's Mm start geographical, like political realities are, are super bizarre in a way that these physical borders are maintained in a way that half of your life doesn't really apply that way so you see that with copyright law for example mm-hmm. when you want to buy a movie but it's not available in your country
3: yeah. or mm-hmm. and you're just mm-hmm. like
2: but but i i want to give mm-hmm. you my money and they say no and i see that all the time with like the bbc when i'm in canada mm-hmm. and there's know, an older show and i just want to yeah. give them my money and I they so won't let me um, you
1: know to my sister <laughs> yeah. sometimes you No, know, she's in um Ontario Mm -hmm. to look at something and she can't see it. You know she can't.
2: Well, and it's just so silly. Like you know, it's the internet. It should be available to everybody, anyway, and and it is really. (laughs) But but it's just like that's where you see these old systems that made sense once upon a time, kind of being held up in a way that they really don't make sense anymore. But they don't know how else to apply it, and so I feel like that. Applies to travel and living places as well now because you interact with people from all over the world. It's so bizarre to think that, okay, you know, I can even work freelance for companies anywhere. Like I can be hired as a freelance illustrator by someone in China, by somebody Um, in, you know, Romania,
1: um, but I can't live there or work there. You know, it's it's weird. When Jim is um, recording. He, you know, he's, he's a songwriter. Mm-hmm. He has, for many years, if he has any um, fiddle on any of his songs, right? He uses someone in Nashville, right? It's, that's he's done that for many years. You know, when he first was looking for a particular mm-hmm. sound and looking like, on the and, met, and this is the person he found, the he sky found. Guy, and that's mm-hmm. um, he's done lots of. Um, he plays in lots of songs, and and yeah. that's
2: that's what's. Mm-hmm. Insane to me in a way is that like I can make work for any of these guys, but as soon as the prospect comes of like officially hiring me, then mm. all of these geographic these border shows. rules yeah, pop up, even yeah. though they don't really and, apply and don't
1: make sense. Yeah, they're sort of closing down all sorts of opportunities.
2: And um, it seems really silly, like you said, you know, if somebody passionately wants to be here and mm. is willing to contribute and willing to pay your tax, you know, like and, and they're they're willing to pay tax, taxes yeah. and mm-hmm. and totally cool. Why make it so difficult for them to do that? I think
1: it, I think a lot of it is racism.
2: And Which is silly too. I mean, admittedly, yes, I, I am not yeah. remotely uh-huh. white mm-hmm. when it comes to, let's say, my cultural history. But to look at me, nobody would know that just by looking at me. So it's just... And being, you know, carrying a Canadian passport, it's still mm-hmm. kind of funny that you can have a Commonwealth country that's still... The, these limitations in 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 um, let's let's say like mobility exists. Yes.
1: Well.
2: I mean, we still have the queen on the money for goodness' sake, right? Like <laughs> she's still our head of state officially. So I don't understand, like especially between Canada and the UK and New Zealand and Australia, like why there is quite the same level of rigid border maintaining. Because you know, here you have. The monarchy is, is head of all of these countries. Like, why why can't it just be that anywhere where the Queen's on the money, you can then go there and work, or like that they can come the money, here? I
1: think the Caribbean play, falls into those categories as well. Right? Also yeah, I mean, my, my just, mom
2: grew up in Barbados, yeah, and that's yeah. half of the British culture that I grew up with. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up with Enid Blyton and all of these sort of like mm-hmm. old school brit culture uh, literature and children's mm-hmm. literature and it was because she grew up in barbados and that mm-hmm. was a british colony
1: yeah. anyway yeah. i'm sure you'll do fine <laughs> well you know life has a so way so of working out one yeah, way or another i'm other, sure you'll so. be fine and i hope you'll be back but yeah it would be lovely so to come back we've covered so much and that's so interesting yeah, i mean feel free to thanks. to, to cull whatever <laughs> you need no that's absolutely fantastic thanks very much for along,
0: Thank you so and much for having good me. Good luck with everything. I'm oh, sorry. Thank thanks, Mariella, and thanks, Pat. Another fascinating chat there, highlighting for me anyway the uh, absolutely ridiculous idea that students coming over here, hugely talented, lots to offer, they want to stay here. And we've got this absolutely ridiculous policy coming from Westminster that's making that difficult, making that difficult for the students themselves, and making it difficult for Scottish, uh, Scottish economy and Scottish culture. These folk coming over here, and they would add an immense amount uh, to our country. So for me, that is one of the one of the things I find particularly interesting. Anyway, I'll catch you the next time. I hope you enjoyed that. Bye for now.